I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. But yeah, we should probably probably (laughs) start the show. Yeah, probably stop talking about stocks and shit and (laughs) talk about the Panthers who whose returns have been overall negative since they've been, you know, around. But Well, I want to start with one thing about the Panthers that we might as well go ahead and get John good and fired up and mad. Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel is <laughs> All right. on Real quick. fire. Real quick, starting the Keep Sounding podcast to start the 2019 preseason and the regular season. This is Brian, joined by Brad and John. And yeah, let's jump right into it. Let's talk about Curtis Samuel, because Curtis Samuel is someone we love on this podcast, except for John. Samuel is the number one wide receiver for the Panthers. And Max Henson wrote an article today about him. And he says, and I quote, when I'm in my zone, I don't feel I can be stopped. How does that make you Max, feel, John? Max Henson says when he's in his zone, he can't be stopped. Well, Curtis Samuel said that. Uh, I mean, that uh, sounds like something Max Henson would say, too. Max Henson <laughs> then followed that with Curtis Samuel has been in that zone throughout training camp. He's on the verge of a major breakthrough in 2019. John, how does that make you feel? Sounds like he's training camp MVP. No, he's not training camp MVP. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Um, so it sounds like to me. <laughs> sounds like training camp MVP. I don't know what else it could be. Well, he he can't be training camp MVP because he hasn't been given the label making plays. Has he not? Uh, I feel he, like <laughs> he definitely has. You're wrong about that. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like that's every single day. I don't know if it's because you guys tag me every single time there's a positive tweet about Curtis Samuel. It absolutely or, <laughs> is because we but, do that intentionally. <laughs> but it, I can't remember a player, and I, like I said, I might just be seeing it differently just because. It's the first time anybody's been – I've been alerted every single time somebody talks about a player. But I can't remember anybody ever getting this much hype over training camp. I mean, outside of the Carolinas, you'd be correct. Um, guys like Matt Harmon, who's been on this show before, and like a lot of the fantasy guys have been very much about Curtis Samuel. Um, yeah. We've heard about people being hyped up in this way inside the Carolinas, people like – Armani Edwards, you know, he's a great example. Um, Panthers.com just tweeted, he is light years ahead of where he was. Look out, NFL. Curtis Samuel is coming. They Wait, they just tweeted that right now? 30 minutes ago. It just showed up. I guess somebody must have retweeted it because it just showed up on my feed here. Um, but but they, they tweeted it 32 minutes ago. 
it's probably the same article that Max wrote that dot com actually just tweeted it. But Curtis Samuel is coming. Look out, NFL. Yeah, it's 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 a shame I hate him with a burning passion. But, (laughs) But on the real note, I this is weird how much he's getting hyped up. Like yeah. from the Panthers, like it's one thing for him to get hyped up by the beat writers and stuff. Yeah, because they hype way- up everybody. But yeah, and like that's their job is to just like talk about what's happening. The fact that the Panthers, like dot com and the team media is like really pushing this is weird to me. Like, not that this this isn't necessarily true, but it feels almost manufactured. Like they're like we have to get we have to make the fans excited about somebody and we know they'll get excited about Curtis Samuel so let's make sure we talk about all the good stuff Curtis Samuel does you know what I mean like yeah not like like I said it it could be true that he's making these steps but they're like talk about him like who cares Taylor Moten looks really good in camp fans don't want to hear about that like casual fans don't want to hear about that they want to hear about Curtis Samuel because he's the second round pick from a couple of years ago and he's the flashy fast wide receiver. Well, the last receiver that I heard them really hype up was Ted Ginn, at least in this way. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's because, like, you just, when you're sitting there watching a practice, a guy like Curtis Samuel or Ted Ginn with how fast and athletic they are just shows up. But, like, it almost seems like Curtis Samuel has like progressed better than Ted Ginn so far. (laughs) And I think we could all attest to that just watching him play last year. I mean, like granted, you know, he's always been, I don't want to say injury prone, but there's always been some kind of issue with him until he comes out and makes plays where like Ted Ginn played for that shit Miami offense for the first few years of his career where Curtis Samuel has played with Cam Newton. Like if he stays healthy, you know, I don't want to say the sky's the limit, but it kind of is. I mean, there aren't there aren't that many receivers who are as athletic as he is. So I think that expectations need to be tempered a little bit because he's not like, you know, Julio Jones or something like that right now. Like, but it's been pretty clear from when he stepped into the league to now that he's progressed quite a bit. And I don't think anybody here can disagree with that, especially John and his constant oh i can absolutely form. disagree with it yeah, he can and he will Brian. <laughs> i i do he has the ability to 100 like yeah. yeah and i i do think there's for one the way he's been talked about this offseason if he comes out and has like 60 catches for 750 yards next year it's going to be a major disappointment yeah i agree. yeah i mean he is being treated as the next like steve smith you know like clear cut thousand yard number one big time receiver and anything mm-hmm. short of you know a thousand yards twelve touchdowns is going to be looked at as a disappointment just because of the hype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's being hyped like he's going to be a star, and so he, if he's not a star, which I think you guys can even admit is unlikely that he'll be a star this year. Oh, uh, I agree. I don't think he's going to take that big of a leap. I think I think the big key for him is going to be playing sixteen games because we haven't even seen him do that yet. No. And, you know, and I don't want to throw an injury prone label on somebody, but he's about as close to being injury prone as you can be. And I think if he can play, you know, 14, 15, 16 games, get anywhere from, like you said, 750 to 1,000 yards and uh, approaching double digit touchdowns, we should be happy with that. But we won't be because, like we've said, you know, 
he's being treated like he's the next Jerry Rice. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, you shouldn't do that to anyone, um, much less a guy who hasn't really shown that ability yet. Yeah, for somebody who hasn't really done anything. Like, I know he made some plays and his touchdown rate's really high last year and stuff, but he hasn't done anything real in the NFL yet. Uh, I don't know about not real, but I think it hasn't been like Odell Beckham levels of consistent. I'll give you that. Like he's made plays that I don't think I've seen from any wide receiver in Carolina since Steve Smith. Like which, like which one besides the giants play? Um, really can't think of them off the top of my head. I wasn't expecting that. Um, but he made. Ooh, he, I wasn't thinking I had to defend my opinion. <laughs> um, no, he had the one. Who was that? Was that the Eagles where he like he broke several tackles and scored on like a reverse? He did like have that. that. Yeah, he said. Yeah, okay. So he said two. It was on a run. Um, which he does have. He averages twelve yards a carry. So maybe he should just play running back. I don't know. I just. No, he's he's been good though as a receiver. Like he he's gotten open in the end zone for, for cam. Like he's actually, like he that. he's, he's the perfect guy to, to run the reverse with. Yeah. Like, you know, we used to have to do that with Jericho Cotchery and it's nice that we have a guy like Curtis Samuel to do that with now. Cause he's actually, he's a very athletic receiver. Like he played that hybrid running back wide out role at Ohio state. So, I mean, I, I, I like putting the ball in his hand on, on reverse plays, you know, every couple of games or, once a game or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's a good way to take advantage of what he brings. I just, like we've said, I just don't like expecting, hey, we've got Odell Beckham Jr., Julio Jones, and, you know, the ghost of Jerry Rice all wrapped up in one guy. And I, I just don't think that's that's not fair to, to Curtis Samuel. That expectation is too high, and I think that's – you know, any, any reasonable Panthers fan wouldn't expect that. But I mean, we saw it last year a few times where like he did get pretty wide open on his own in the end zone. I mean, a good example was the lions game. I, I think he, I think Darius Slay had his jockstrap laying on the field after he uh, tried to cover him in the, in the end zone. So it's not like he, it's not like we're projecting everything. Like we have seen a lot of what he has to offer. So it's just a matter of seeing it more consistently. <laughs> it's just, yeah, that's the thing. Well, for one, I've said it. I said it somewhere that it, I don't think he looks very natural as a wide receiver, which is weird because. Yeah, you said that two years ago, and then he he shored up his hands a bit. He still don't look very natural though. Like, like he looks like he's a man. It's hard to explain. Like he's no, a, I know a, what a you're manufactured. Explaining. He's like a manufactured athlete. Like some people can just like catch the ball naturally, and they don't have to work on it. Like, or they can work on it to become a lead at it. It feels like he went from being bad at catching the ball to like working really hard to become okay at it, which is fine. But like, there's room for that to to fail in the game. And then, uh, as good as fast as he is, like, he doesn't seem great after the catch down the field. Like, he's really good if he has a running start, like he does on those reverses and the bubble screens and stuff. But it's like if he comes out of his break and like catches a ball with the defender behind him. He just kind of like jukes in place for five seconds until somebody just pushes him out of bounds. So it's, I mean, it's weird. It's weird because normally I'm all about objective information and stuff, but like this is like the one time I could think of where 
like Matt Harmon is reception perception and stuff where it's just like, I just, I don't see where it's coming from. I think that his yards after the catch is something where there's more there, but I think 100% he's the best route runner on the team. minus Greg Olson and Christian McCaffrey who both don't play wide receiver. <laughs> so we'll see for what it's worth last year, the second half of the season, he had 31 catches for 388 yards and three touchdowns. So for a season that's 62 catches for, what was that? What's that math? What's 388 times two? 700 and... Around 800 yards. Yeah, Around 800, awesome. yeah. Yeah, 776 yards and six touchdowns. But the good news is it's not all on him either. They got DJ Moore. They got, hopefully, Greg Olson, Ian Thomas, Christian McCaffrey, Darius Wright, Maybe Chris Hogan. We'll see how he goes. Hey, that's so, a good segue. Yeah. Because we I I put on Twitter earlier today if you had any questions for us that you could ask them. And one of the questions was from our good friends at Pat's Pulpit. And how has Chris Hogan looked so far? So quiet. let's talk about Chris Hogan. <laughs> quiet. That's very, very quiet. Very quiet. He's looked like Chris Hogan. I was going to say, um, is there anything to talk about with Chris Hogan? Not really. I, I just wanted to give Pat's pulpit a shout out. Um, he missed a couple of days with a sore back and everybody thought on CSR anyway, thought that we traded him to somebody. Um, that, was a fun <laughs> of days. That. Um, that was a fun couple of days. But other than that, I honestly forgot we signed him. That That's how visible he's been. Alger Robinson is more, has been more visible than him. Yeah. Um, so has, um, mm-hmm. Terry Godwin and Jaden Mickens. And that brings up another good question from at K tank TJR. Are we going to be able to keep six wide receivers on the roster? I think we are. We always have six. I think we always have six. The thing is, is we usually only dress five on game day. Um, But you know, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, um, Jarius Wright, Torrey Smith, and Chris Hogan are your one through five. Um, But then you got an interesting group of guys, Aldrick Robinson, Rashad Ross, Terry Godwin, and Jaden Mickens are all competing for that number six spot. And I think that whoever gets that that number six spot is going to be the guy that also is the kick returner because I think that's what they want to use it for. Uh, so I would say that Godwin and Mickens probably have the, the upper hand. I'd even give the edge to Mickens just because he has some running back experience. So. Yeah, and they, they brought him in recently to to look at him for that specific role so i think he does have and they could easily put terry godwin on the practice squad because he was a seventh round pick yeah not exactly a hugely desirable not exactly a hugely desirable guy so i think that mickens is a guy that we should definitely look at over the next couple of weeks yeah mickens is somebody who's going to make a ton of plays in the preseason and it's possible he makes the roster because of it. So we'll see. We'll definitely see. Um, <clears throat> I think, I think uh, Aldrick Robinson is another one of those. Cause he's like a veteran that's really far down the depth chart. And I yeah. feel like he's going to eat backup cornerbacks alive. And people Aldrich- are going to, it's going to be like a Jared Boykin situation from a couple yeah, of years ago. The only problem with Robinson is the last couple of, w- of days, um, reports from training camp have said he's had a really bad case of the dropsies. And I don't know if he's just had a bad couple of days or what, but I, I do think you're right. We're going to see a completely different tune whenever he's playing against 
you know, Chicago's fifth string corner that that's going to be working at Walmart in, you know, three weeks. Yeah. Uh, he, he's going to end up looking like an all pro and people are going to be claiming, you know, Aldrick Robinson's got to make the team because that happens mm-hmm. every year. I mean, um, he has a higher ceiling than literally everybody on our on the back end of the depth chart, except for maybe Godwin. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if they do keep Robinson and cut somebody like Torrey Smith or Jarius Wright. Like, it would not surprise me just to free up money. Like, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel like the coaching staff, it, because uh, we had a bad season last year and they always seem to come to the next season with a, with a new renewed fire after a bad season, um, it seems more willing to make a bold move like cutting someone like Torrey Smith. I mean, we did it. Be kind of shitty to cut him after he agreed to take a pay cut. So we <laughs> yeah. have to find somebody too. Like that yeah. would be, that's a Bill Belichick move. But that's like, we have a good season and then we'll kind of just do the exact same thing the next year. Like we get complacent and then we have a bad season. They're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to be a little tougher with things. We're going to be stricter with the rules. We're going to be strict. We're going to do a new stretching routine. We're going to cut some fan favorite players. So we're mean business now. Yeah, well, Corey Smith is not a fan favorite, so he's safe. Oh, he's absolutely not a fan favorite, but he's a locker room favorite. Well, I get where you're coming from there. Um, One thing that I'm curious about, the offensive line is an interesting thing right now, which is not something I would have predicted months ago. Um, This is an unofficial depth chart, but... Daryl Williams and Greg Van Roten are the starting left tackle and left guard. Matt Paradis starting at center, not a surprise. Trey Turner starting at right guard, not a surprise. Taylor Moten starting at right tackle, not a surprise. But that left side is a little weird. Um, Yeah. Greg Little has, I've heard, mixed results with him so far. Now, it's hard to really project that because offensive linemen in the preseason are you know they're they're at a disadvantage in almost every drill they run so but it's interesting that we spent what was it one year seven to eight million dollars on trey tur on a not trey turner um, williams on daryl williams to keep him around as a tackle and suddenly instead of being a potential backup right tackle or potentially factoring into the left guard position, suddenly he's the starting left tackle. And I don't know if it's going to last, but... I don't think it is. Um, You actually answered or partially answered one of our questions from Ken Ken Zabs. How big of a gap is there between Greg Little and Daryl Williams at left tackle? Who is winning? Sounds like Williams has the edge, which Brian has already said he does. Um, I, I don't think that Williams will be the starting left tackle for very long. I think this is a motivational tactic from Ron. Um, I think he wants little to earn it. Like he doesn't want to hand it to him. I think that Greg little will end up being the starting left tackle and Daryl Williams will be the starting left guard. At least I hope because that's the best, that's the best offensive line combination we can put out there. It's one of those things where the coaching staff always just, they try to find a way to make the entire depth chart based off of tenure for the first. Oh, it's release. absolutely based and, off tenure. Like you yeah. can look at the whole thing and it's, it's based off tenure. 
Yeah, so there's they they'll put. I mean, we see it every year. They'll put. Um, I can't remember anybody specifically, but we could draft Tory like a Steph wide receiver above DJ Moore. Yeah, exactly. There. Yeah, we draft Tory or DJ Moore in the first round, and they put Tory Smith as the one one wide receiver when everybody knows the intention is for DJ Moore to be the starting receiver sooner rather than later. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I think my favorite depth chart right now is that Cameron Artis Payne is running back number two. And Reggie Bonifant is red, is running back number three. Exactly. Just simply because they've been here longer than Jordan Scarlett and Elijah Holyfield. Like it has nothing to do with ability or skill. It's simply tenure. That that's there's another user question that we can segue into that one. Um, and it's who's more likely to make the team, Cap or Elijah Holyfield? Yeah, I think Cap. Uh, Cap. I mean, he, Ron Rivera has been trying to get a good look at Cameron Artis Payne since <laughs> 1989. So I, I think he's probably going to make the roster. And I think I'm going to use this time to get on my soapbox for a few minutes um, because I've, I've noticed a, a growing hype train that needs to be shut down. Reggie Bonifant is not going to make the 53-man roster. He's not very good. Okay. People love him for some reason that I yet do not understand. I, I think it's because he's versatile. Yeah. Like he played wide receiver, quarterback, running back, whatever in college. And that doesn't mean Jack Diddley squat in the NFL. I mean, it just doesn't. He has, what was it, John? Nine carries for 10 yards mm-hmm. in the preseason, or is it 10 carries for nine no, yards? Yeah, it, he only played in the fourth preseason game last year, and he had nine carries for 10 yards. He had yeah. good. He had like four catches for a good amount of yards, but still. Yeah, I mean, and I know they're, they're working him right now out of the backfield as a pass-catching running back, but that's because Jordan Scarlett is hurt. Like, he's dealing with a back injury, and somebody has to run the drills. I'm not going to make a bold claim about Reggie Bonifant and say something like I'll eat a hat or anything because they'll <laughs> put him on the team just to spite me. But I will be shocked if Reggie Bonifant makes the 53-man roster. And he's not an open secret. Um, I've seen that <laughs> comment on CSR. Um, for one, that's there's no such thing as an open secret, okay? If it's a secret, it's not open. And if it's open, it's not a secret. That those Those two things don't mix that's like saying something's new and improved it can't be both you can't have something new and improve on it because then it's not new um but anyway uh i just 
you know, Reggie Bonifant is not an open secret. Not other teams aren't looking at the Panthers transactions to say, oh, well, they're, they're trying to sneak Reggie Bonifant onto the practice squad. We better swoop in and take him. That's not going to happen. Nobody cares about Reggie Bonifant. Nobody wants Reggie Bonifant. Nobody signed him last year when we cut him. You know, nothing. I mean, he's he's just your average jag running back that's kind of fast and can catch. Um, Jordan Scarlett is going to probably take that spot over Bonifant, and then Cameron Artis Payne will probably take the other spot over Holyfield, and Holyfield will make the practice squad because no – Nobody wants him because he ran like a four point seven five minute forty yard dash a minute. at the combine or something like that, and that's the reason he was he was undrafted because he had a bad combine or some crap like that. Yeah, which, Elijah Holyfield to, is a bruiser back, and they already have yeah. that in Cameron Artis Payne. Yeah, and Jordan I mean, Scarlett. and so. Jordan. Yeah, there. I I think it's Christian McCaffrey, Cameron Artis Payne, Jordan Scarlett. I I just don't see. Now, I, I mean, the only way I think Reggie Bonifant makes the roster is if they if they go with five wide receivers and use Bonifant as the kick returner. Like, if they want to do that, like he'll make the team. But other than that, I don't think he really stands much of a chance. One other thing about Bonifant, he he had like 490 yards or something as a senior in Louisville, and averaged like 4.9 yards per carry. Those aren't very good numbers for a college running back that's supposed to be a major contributor in the NFL. But he yeah, can do everything, wasn't, John. Wasn't, that, wasn't he on the Louisville team that was really good? Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, Lamar yeah. Jackson took his spot as like the quarterback. The Lamar ja- yeah, I, I was yeah. going to say, wasn't he on the Lou- when Louisville was good? Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he, he would have played with Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson was a rookie last year, too. Yeah. So, yeah, he averaged less than five yards per carry with Lamar Jackson as his quarterback for a good Louisville team. So. Also, yeah. I don't know the hype with Elijah Holyfield either. I mean, it's it's, it's probably it's because the name recognition, right? That's, yeah, it's absolutely all. And he played is. for played for Georgia, so he was on the national he was on national TV a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's because of who his dad is, and it's because he's a big bruiser back. Like fans love those because you know you got to have enough ball. of those in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now, to be honest and to be fair, I personally think they should keep Holyfield over Cameron Artis Payne because we know what we've got with Cameron Artis Payne, and it's average. And I think Holyfield would be just as good, and he also has less mileage on his legs. It's one of those where, like, the team doesn't get worse if they don't have Cameron Artis Payne, so you might as well... Yeah, and they go don't go for the unknown yeah, and see what happens. It, yeah, it's there. Yeah, Cameron Artis Payne isn't going to be what prevents us from winning the Super Bowl. Mm-mm. So, I mean, and honestly, if if Holyfield doesn't work out or if he gets hurt or whatever, nobody's going to sign Cameron Artis Payne. So you can just bring him back. Yeah, just keep him on retainer. Yeah, like just we keep him on retainer like every or something. I feel like every team has a couple of those guys. Like we've always, I know he's gone now, but we always had like Wes, Wes Horton, Horton and then just yep. where the, yeah, Brent, Brenton Burson, where it's just like, Hey, we'll cut hey. you, but you know, if, if we, <laughs> you know, if, if we need, if we get into a bind, you're the first name we're going to call. So that, that would be Cameron Otis Payne if he gets let go. Yeah, I agree. I would agree there. It's uh, at this point, really the, the, the offense is, mostly 
decided. I mean, like there's there really the whole isn't. team really is, to be honest. I mean, you know, it's a 53 man roster and I would be willing to bet that Ron already knows at least 48, if not 50 of the 53. I like, would have argued against that if they hadn't already signed Trey Boston. Yeah, like, yeah. if they hadn't already signed Trey Boston, I would say, well, there's there's legitimately like eight guys that could be the free safety, and that's a legitimate competition, but it's not anymore. Nah, like looking at the defense, the only real competition at this point is how many snaps is Bruce Irving going to get over Brian Burns, and who the fuck is the nickel corner going to be? <laughs> like, Well, there's one really, other really question. The question. There's uh, yeah. one other question from Dylan seven 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 five five. That's a lot of sevens. Um, do you think Effie Obata gets more snaps this year? And just so we know, because I I did the research, I did the work, um, I did the math. He had two hundred and fifty eight snaps last year total. Uh, 187 of those were as a defensive end. Seventy one were on special teams. That's an average of sixteen per game you know, an average of 12 on defense and four on special teams. So that's what he would have to do to be equal to last year. Do you think he will get more than that? Well, it depends on the London game because I think he'll play every snap in the London game. Probably, <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll play um, he'll play 100 snaps in London and then not play at all for the rest of the year. But real talk, I mean, like his position has changed a lot since the Panthers did what they did in the offseason. I mean, they got – you know, Brian Burns, they got Miller, they got Bruce Irvin. Those are all guys who are going to factor in on the edge. Like the defensive end spots are pretty much filled on the three, four front with Gerald McCoy, um, K1 short, you know, Kyle Love. So like, it's going to be a little different this year because it's not going to be the same rotation they had last year where they were just filtering in everybody aside from Mario Addison, just hoping somebody would come out and sack the guy. So I would say if I were to put money on it, I'd say no, yeah. because it's like you want to give as many snaps as you can to a guy like Brian Burns, who could literally blow up a play before it starts, or Bruce Miller, who's more of a 3-4 outside linebacker than, you know, Faye Obata, who just learned how to play football the last few years. So, yeah. And Obata is listed as a backup at the end position behind McCoy and Short. And McCoy right. and Short are obviously going to dominate those snaps. Like you want them on the field as much as possible too, because um, they're both all pro caliber players. And so he's got to fight with Brian Cox, Vernon Butler for snaps. And I don't know if he's head and shoulders above them as players to warrant getting, yeah, you know, the the lion's share of snaps behind McCoy and Short. It yeah, really I just... think I think we're only going to see Obata on like third and and seventeen. And, you know, they'll they'll run the NASCAR package. Mm-hmm. That that's yeah. that's the kind of situations I see him using him in. I don't think he's going to play more than he did last year either, just because we have more on the front seven than we did last year. Like we had to play Obata last year. We didn't have a choice. Yeah, yeah. like that was the point I was going to make. Is like it depends on what alignments they run out there. Like, and Carolina has pretty much told the league they're going to be a three-four defense. So. At that point, like the only real reason to bring FA Obata out is when you want to sub out K1 short or, and I wouldn't even really sub out K1 short, but like Gerald McCoy or like Kyle Love or like Don Terry Poe and get someone on the field who's got a little more value as a pass rusher just because of their athleticism. And 
that's not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen nearly as often as like third and short or third and five, where you want McCoy, Short, Poe out there. Yeah, I agree. But what about the nickel position? Is that one still really up in the air? Do we I don't want... think it's up in the air anymore because breaking news: Javian Elliott has been making plays for the last <laughs> three days at training camp. He's intercepted Cam Newton. He's intercepted Kyle Allen. He's intercepted Will Greer. Like he's just he is Ed Reed out there. I mean, and I know I know you're being sarcastic, but I'm I actually mean, not. There reports out of training camp are saying he's actually like real talk legitimately has a shot to make the roster as as the nickelback. Like he's surrounded by a better defense in Carolina right now, like front seven. Um, defensive back wise, you know, he's going to have Eric Reed, James Bradbury, Dante Jackson, Trey Boston, like of all the places where I'd want a weak spot, I would say Nickelback is probably the one I'd pick. And JV and Elliot has like legit experience there instead of just Corn Elder who had to sub in because the Panthers had literally no one else. So, yeah, we're still waiting on him to turn around, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we've talked about this before. You know who JV and Elliot's one career interception is against, right? Cam. Yeah. Cam. When he was with <laughs> the Bucks last year, he picked off yeah. Cam. That's his one interception. One career interception. Well, it's funny. The thing about nickelbacks that's funny is like, so the NFL is starting to contractually value nickelbacks, but in the draft, it doesn't seem like they value them as much as regular cornerbacks. Yeah, it's like one of those things where they don't know who a nickelback is until they get here. So they're just kind of like, eh, we'll find one when yeah. they get here and then we'll pay them once we know who's an actual nickelback and who's an outside corner. Yeah. I mean like Carolina took a shot on captain Munderland in like what the seventh round the year he yeah, was drafted. It wasn't like, round. it wasn't like they expected him to be the starting nickel corner. And he turned out to be for the majority of his career, a very good nickel corner in the league. Like he, his last couple of years in Carolina, he wasn't, but yeah, but for a seventh round years, pick for him to stick around as long as he did, that just, that doesn't happen very often. Oh yeah. They knocked it out of the park with that pick. And like, I just, I, I, I've seen a couple of teams sign cornerbacks who were considered nickel cornerbacks to like high end contracts, but for the most part, teams still just kind of like put the guy who might be good at nickel at nickel and hope it works out for the best. <laughs> yeah, a lot of teams it's just, just kind of like third best corner out there at nickel. That, that's what I was gonna say. It's just like when Madden didn't have that as a special position, where just the third cornerback on your depth chart was the one that yeah. came out came out for nickel. Pretty back. much, yeah. Like the only real option I have, I see aside from just playing one of those guys is just putting Dante Jackson there, and it doesn't seem like they've made any indication they want to do that yet. So. No, I don't think they do. I mean, or, in the past we've they. treated it like we've treated it like little league or street ball, where you put the worst guy out in left field just because that's mm-hmm. the easiest spot, or or first base or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, and whoever it is I, isn't going to be overexposed because they. They want to do. They want to run Rashawn Gold, and they want to run a linebacker there. They want to have a big nickel. So it's not like every time they run the nickel defense, this guy's going to be out there either. So it's going to be a little more limited, which will make it better for that guy. I actually think they should just get a good nickel corner and put him out there and not mess with this big nickel nonsense. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> that, no, that's not going to happen. 
My question is... No, I know it's not going to happen. Ron (laughs) Rivera is obsessed with the big nickel for whatever reason. I mean, but, you know. My question is, is there a position in football that is is automatically hateable as a nickel cornerback? Because their, Um, their job is, like, impossible to cover, like, NFL slot receivers. Um, at least like, you know, it's, it's impossible to cover them and limit the, uh, catch rate of slot receivers. So I feel like everybody thinks whoever plays nickel for them sucks because they're giving up like 80% catch rate, even if it's only for a couple of yards per catch. The only one I could say that would even be close would be like the kicker, maybe the yeah. punter. Yeah. You know, people don't automatically disrespect them because they're the kicker. Um, but yeah, as far as like every down position guys, no, nah, I don't think anybody's as hated as the nickel corner. Well, they got to cover wide receivers who could be slot, who could be actual prototypical wide receivers in the slot. Could be Michael Thomas, could be Rob Gronkowski. So, yeah, they have a hard job. They have a really hard job, and the NFL is slowly starting to value them, but. Across the board, not quite yet. I'm just shocked that the NFL would be slow to embrace something very important to the progression of the game. Oh, really? yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. It's, they're always <laughs> progressive and immediate when they act on things. So this is yeah. completely out of the norm. Like the NFL is very clearly going towards a pass-heavy league, and underneath passing and passing to receivers out of the slot is becoming more and more important. And the NFL is still like, ah, but it's just a nickel corner. It's not that, not that big a deal because they weren't important 30 years ago. Yeah. Some of the NFL is, um, looking at it right now. Uh, Desmond King is a good example of, a team with the Chargers who actually values a nickel corner. They gave him a really high-valued contract. And it's funny that the Chargers would do that because they actually had a good defense last year. It's kind of weird that <laughs> paying your nickel corner and having a good defense, you know, seems to correlate. Not sure how so, that works. Not sure how your calculator figures that out, John, but... <laughs> it doesn't. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> What do you guys think about Ross Cockrell being the backup cornerback and backup safety? I think it's fine. Chart? I like the idea of being flexible. I mean, he's the backup free safety too, not just the strong safety. And yeah. keep in mind that he broke his leg so bad last year that he had to learn how to walk again. This doesn't sound like it's that big a deal. Eh, it's, walk in football. it's 2019. Yeah. Learning how to walk is overrated. And Brian, how do you feel about the fact that Colin Jones is listed as third on the depth chart at free safety? The not official depth chart, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Jones getting cut would legitimately surprise me. Colin Jones, I, I've said this in our Slack group, and I'll say it here. Colin Jones, if he's like the eighth safest guy. Uh, you got you got Cam, you got Luke, you got McCaffrey, you got Greg Olson, you got Moore and Samuel, uh, you got the Kwan Short, 
um, the specialist, and then you got Colin Jones. So he's like 11 <laughs> on the list. Like there is almost no way he gets cut. He also knows how to play strong safety, free safety, and big nickel. So. He can play free safety, strong Don't safety, me. big nickel, gunner. Uh, he can probably return kicks if they'd let him do it because he's got 4-2 speed. Uh, he can punt, he can kick, he can throw. Um, he can do it all. But as far as Ross Cockrell goes to address a real talk term here, um, of all defenses for him to be that day, I think this is the best one because, you know, we've all, we all lamented and we did this so many times last year during our podcast where we lamented not running man coverage, but I don't see why I just don't see Carolina like suddenly making man coverage a more than 50% part of their scheme. So to run it, to have a guy who is really good and excels in run zone coverage in Ross Cockrell being the primary backup a corner and the primary backup in at safety. I can't complain about that. Like, I think he'll be fine. I think he's a good backup to have it there. Um, Colin Jones will fill in where he has to, and he'll make plays. He'll make an interception. He'll sack a quarterback, but he just needs a chance. That's all he's needed over the last seven years of his career in Carolina. I don't know anything. I don't know a lot about Cockrell as a player, but I like the idea that the coaching staff isn't, you know, trying to pigeonhole people into one spot because that's been a problem. What does it hurt to have? What does it hurt to put a guy who you know is has been a outside zone corner for his entire career? How does it hurt to put him at safety and see what he has to do? See what he has there when you have Bradbury and Dante Jackson. Like it just doesn't hurt to do that, especially when Rashawn Golden is, you know, utter trash at this point. So, (laughs) who could have ever seen that coming? Yeah. It, it's it's funny to me how often uh, there's like a player gets picked and it just gets universally panned. Like everybody's like, that's a really bad pick. And that player ends up being bad. It's like, how how does internet get that right and an NFL team not? And obviously yeah, it's very early not. for Golden. And he could, be, he could end up being a good player. But when we picked him, it's like, what are they doing? He's not that good and he's not very athletic. So what's he going to be good at? And then he's in the NFL and we're like, oh, what's he good at? Just like everybody thought. I'm saying NFL teams should make the draft boards based off Twitter. Of course. It you honestly, goddamn it. <laughs> goddamn playing football. I, I bet, I bet a team drafting, if they just use like a, consensus like smart people on twitter not just like random twitter fans but like you know verified accounts on twitter that actually research this stuff and they use that as their draft board and just that was their entire scouting staff they probably do all right i don't know what you just said yeah i don't know what you said either eddie eddie jack Something about Eddie Jackson. Something about Eddie Jackson, yeah. Yeah, Eddie Jackson was the third-round pick. Sure was. He's good, too. He is very good. Yeah, it's amazing how... Not Colin Jones, but he's good. (laughs) 
My point was just that when they draft in the later rounds or the mid rounds, finding guys who are more athletic seems to pan out better. Yeah. Maybe that's just me, but that, yeah. yeah. At the beginning of the draft, you pick, you pick players who are good at football and have proven that they can be effective players. And then when you just start taking flyers, you take flyers on guys that are athletic and you hope they can learn football skills. Yeah. After, right. the, after what I'd say the fourth round, yeah, just take the most athletic people just you take can the find. Most athletic people you can find, and then when you when you're looking for UDFA's, or if you're not going to take the most athletic person, take somebody who has a specific skill that you want. Yeah, like, like the the quarterback that can throw seventy yards, like you know things like that. Like they have a a particular thing about them. Um, you yeah, it's like a wide receiver that's got four three speed even if they're or three not very, speed or yeah even if they're small or even if their hands aren't good just you need speed draft the fast player yeah what what do you guys this is uh, we uh, this is the last thing i want to talk about what do you guys expect to see on thursday like or what are you looking forward to seeing on thursday I'm going to let segue that into this question on Twitter. I did want to get to because it, it goes with this um, fretless owl asked, okay, okay. If cam goes down, is Kyle Allen worthy? No. <laughs> the answer <laughs> to that no. question is no. Um, and you should, you should immediately start to fret. Um, <laughs> if cam goes down in no, no other way to say this, if cam goes down, the Panthers are screwed. Um, they will not win eight games without Cam Newton. It just won't happen. Kyle Allen is not that great. Uh, he's a decent. He's a decent arm. He came from was it Houston college? Texas, yeah, college. It was Houston and Texas A and M, I believe, with the yeah. two schools he went to. So he he has some experience in two different offenses but mostly air raid because he played mostly at Houston, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, and he lost his job to a guy that never even sniffed the NFL for what it's yeah. worth. So, you know, he's, this goes back to something we mentioned earlier. He's only starting Thursday night because he's been here the longest yeah. and because Cam isn't playing. Um, yeah. That's legitimately and literally the only reason he's starting. Because if you look at the depth chart, it's Cam, Kyle Allen, and Will Greer. And Taylor Heineke is listed as fourth because he's the camp arm. He's not going to make the team uh, unless Kyle Allen gets hurt. So that's why Kyle Allen is starting on Thursday night, and I expect him to be bad because he will be playing against the, the Bears' first string, and I expect Panthers fans to freak out over it. Yeah, I he's also gotten – tremendously overrated in my opinion because he had a good game sweet picture man uh against the saints when the saints weren't trying in the last game of the season yeah exactly that was an accident by the way <laughs> so you know um but yeah it's i know it's easy to do but i don't know I, it's it's not wise to uh assume whether a player is good or bad from one you know, one take like from one event, especially if it's an event that's not meaningful in any way. Like I think he played decent in the fourth preseason game against the Steelers too, but again, it's a fourth preseason game. Like nobody else on that in that game even made an NFL team really. 
Yeah, the so, fourth Dan- preseason game doesn't count. Like it shouldn't even be played. But Daniel yeah. Jones got drafted on one event. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. <laughs> he did. Three and series. If, of you one want, if, event. You, if you want a good idea of how that's going to work out for the Giants, watch Kyle Allen start on Thursday night, uh, <laughs> and you will see. Yeah, and then even if he plays well, like I know it's the Bears, but it's the preseason Bears, and even if he plays well, yeah. it doesn't mean he's going to be a good player. He's not. He's not beating Khalil Mack and Eddie Jackson and and those guys. He's beating whoever their second and third stringers are. Yeah, I would imagine that we'll see. You know, we won't see Luke Keekley and Cam Newton at all. I would imagine we'll see Christian McCaffrey for about five minutes, um, mm. like the first drive. That's it. And then we'll see Greg Olson um, for a few minutes. And then it's going to be, you know, just trying out a bunch of offensive line combinations. It's going to be trying a bunch of guys who are competing for that nickel corner spot, guys who are competing for that sixth wide receiver spot. That's what we're going to see on Thursday night. And the Bears are going to be doing the exact same thing. Yeah, it's going to be mostly not good players playing. And the good players that do play are not going to be going full speed because they're not going to want to get hurt. No, they're not. The only benefit to them is they get to hit somebody that's not on their team for the first time. Like that's legitimately the only thing they have to yeah. look forward to. And they're not even going to hit each other that hard because like you said, yeah. nobody wants to get hurt. <laughs> yeah. Cleo Max is going to go out there and he's going to make one move. And if it doesn't blow by his def- uh, the blocker, he's just going to be like, oh, well, I lost this one. Oh, well. And well, to be fair, it probably will blow by the blocker. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, we're we're gonna see the the fringe guys, and I'm looking forward to it because there's a couple of guys I want to see, but mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, it's gonna be a really ugly game. I'm honestly excited to watch Will Greer play. I kind of am too. Just, just I don't know. He's a new quarterback, and he's actually has some pedigree because we haven't had a quarterback with any sort of pedigree here, other than Cam Newton. Like, excuse me, ever. Derek Anderson has a word for you. Derek what Anderson word? had one good year, and that and was he he made the good goddamn playoffs. <laughs> he he made the Pro Bowl. He didn't make the playoffs. He made the Pro. He made the Pro Bowl in two thousand seven because Tom Brady, Peyton they did Manning, make the playoffs though. Hold on, they did make the playoffs though. Did they? No. I thought they went eight and eight. I thought um, no, they had a winning record and didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, he made the Pro Bowl. He he was the Pro Bowl quarterback because all the other quarterbacks in the AFC made the playoffs and didn't want to play in the game. Like he was like the fourth alternate. Legit. So literally, that means he was like half- the seventh best quarterback in the AFC in in two thousand seven or whatever L- year it was. Literally half of the quarterbacks in the NFL make the Pro Bowl every year because so many players withdraw from it. Yeah, pretty the much. Browns. Yeah, the Browns went ten and six. They did not make the playoffs. They haven't made the playoffs since two thousand two. I think they're going to make the playoffs this year. They Baker Mayfield is the real deal. And I've said that ever since pre-draft, when before he got drafted, I told y'all, I said, Baker Mayfield is the best quarterback in this draft class. And he is. And he's he's going to lead them to the promised land. Which is the playoffs. Which is the, the playoffs. playoffs, exactly. All they have to do is win 10 games and make the playoffs. 
and they'll build nah, him a damn it, statue. It's and then it's the same thing with Kyler Murray this year. It's just like they get people get so it's like the people he's playing behind in the Big Twelve are just as big as the NFL linemen he's gonna be playing behind. It clearly his vision wasn't a problem in college. Like he's he's just good. Don't, yeah, don't overthink I mean, it. Two of the best quarterbacks in the last fifteen years are Russell Wilson and Drew Brees. And neither yeah. one of them are gonna win a height contest. So I mean it's not it's not as big of a deal as scouts like to make it out to be. No. I mean, really, who's like what is a six three quarterback see quarterback can't see? Like they're still looking at the back of the head of an offensive lineman. They're not so tall that they can see over the heads of six foot four offensive linemen. Yeah, unless they're like um Brock Osweiler. Yeah. And you'd see what being tall got Brock Osweiler. <laughs> you got him drafted, Brad. Got him drafted. Got him a huge it made him a shitload of money. It made him like seventy million dollars. Yeah. So maybe that's not the best example. It's probably not. Um he's another really <laughs> tall quarterback. Um, <laughs> Joe Flacco. <laughs> Joe Flacco, yeah. Well, Joe Flacco's elite, so we can't use him. True. If you're very tall, John Elway will give you a job at some point. If, yes, exactly. I mean, there's another. Like if, <laughs> we can use Josh Allen. He's very tall. Yeah. He's very tall and he can throw far. That's all you need. Oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Intruders. Do we have anything Anyways, else to anything else? touch on here? Yeah. I think that's no. it. All right, well, Panthers fans, enjoy the Panthers' first preseason game against the Chicago Bears, where Cam Newton and Luke Keekley and probably not a lot of starters will play, but it'll still be football. It'll still be enjoyable to watch. Uh, we will be here with some live commentary, so feel free to check that out. But from all of us here on the Keep Sounding podcast, this is Brian, joined by Brad and John. And you guys have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk to you on Thursday. See it Later. Keeps the football. Takes off to the end zone for the touchdown. He takes the handoff, and he scores. Avoided the Dolphins behind the line of scrimmage and took it in for the first touchdown of the night. Newton keeps, lowers his shoulder, and takes it in for the touchdown. On second and goal, shuttle pass, McCaffrey, touchdown. And off dive for Jonathan Stewart, and he's in for a touchdown. That's intercepted by Keeping. He has more of those than any linebacker in the league.